Sometimes we go through the valley of the shadow of death. And the fact that I will fear no evil doesn't mean evil won't be there trying to destroy me. In fact, this is an acknowledgement that evil is there, trying to destroy, trying to kill, trying to ruin. And David said, as a sheep in the fold of the Almighty God, I don't even have to fear evil. I can walk through the valley of the shadow of death because my shepherd, the Almighty Shepherd, he fights my battles for me. He is all-powerful. There's not an enemy that he cannot defeat. All that I've got to do is stay close to the shepherd and he will protect me. In this final sermon of the Besides Still Water sermon series, Pastor Joplin Emerson brings a whole series back to the 23rd chapter of the Psalms. There is a peace that is promised to those sheep who belong to God. And concerning shepherds, there is no shepherd who cares for his flock like the Almighty Shepherd does. Listen in to discover the five blessed truths about the Almighty Shepherd. My only hesitancy with preaching Psalm 23 this morning is that it is such a big uh, chapter that an entire sermon series could be done on this chapter alone. And so there's a part of me that doesn't want to leave anything undone uh, while simultaneously I know that I've got to move and we have got to find a way to wrap up this sermon series besides still waters. The thought for this sermon series came obviously from this passage. And I would submit to you that there may not be any other symbolic passage in all of the scriptures that so adamantly deals with the peace that we should have. And this morning, before I get to my five points, I want us to look at just this strange thought that of all passages that deal with peace, of all passages to think that Psalm 23 is most likely the greatest passage of symbolic reference to the complete peace that the child of God should have, we are likened unto sheep. Now let's just talk about the irony of that for a moment. Of all creatures on the planet, there are few, if any, it might be argued that there are none, more vulnerable than the sheep. A sheep has no ability to defend itself. Now, this sermon's going to get real good real quick, but we've got to deal with the fact that God sees us as sheep so that we understand how great the shepherd is. But there's not a lot of great things to say about sheep. They're, they're really dumb animals. Like they're, they're, Not only can they not protect themselves, they have no awareness of danger. Most sheep you can literally bring them to the slaughter and cut their neck. They just stand there and let you do it. They don't even know what's going on. Sheep are dumb animals. It's also true that most sheep can't see much further than like 15 yards in front of them. That's not of great vision. And so it's really important they all huddle together. Because you get one that wanders off, it doesn't have to get very far away, and before you know it, it's a long ways off. It's not intelligent enough to make itself back to its home. I mean, sheep are dumb animals. I remember at one point in time, this is talk about a rabbit trail. I don't run on rabbit trails very often, but I'm doing this this morning. My wife called me one time. She said, we got a rat in the house. I said, we don't have a rat in the house. We got mice maybe, but no rat. She's like, no, this is huge. I said, Andrea, 
It's not a rat. She calls me a couple days later, texts me, and says, the rat is back. I'm like, it's not a rat. About a week later, she sends me a picture, and we've got a rat. <laughs> this thing has come out in the middle, and it's not afraid of nobody. It comes out in the middle of the, uh, you know, our kind of office area where she was working, and it's just looking at her. And I'm like, what is going on here? A couple weeks later, we have a teenage girl babysitting our kids. I don't remember what we were doing, but her and I had to go out. And uh, sure enough, babysitter calls and says, guys, there's a rat underneath of your table. I'm like, oh, we got to do something about this rat. Well, one day I'm walking through the house, and sure enough, there it is. I see it, and I'm like, it's here. We got a rat. We had some friends over, and uh, here's the short story. We cornered this rat. We put, like, uh, barriers so that it couldn't get away and uh, lifted up the couch that it was under and uh, caught this thing with our bare hands. Uh, not bare hands. Trust me, we had gloves on, and it was going at the gloves once it knew we were trying to catch it. But we caught this rat, and I thought, you know what I'm going to do? If you know where I live, I live um, on the creek here in Derby. I'm like, I'm just going to let this thing go. So we go out way back. I'm talking at least 40 yards from my house. And I put this thing down in the creek. And I'm like, goodbye, rat. And he's back two days later. <laughs> and so here's the lesson. Even rats are smarter than sheep. That thing knew how to make itself its way back home. Sheep are dumb animals. They don't know how to get back home. They don't know how to defend themselves. They have no defense mechanisms. They don't have sharp teeth. I mean, I'm just telling you, and, and, here, and this is what's important to understand, brothers and sisters. We're talking about peace. God likens us to sheep that have no ability to protect ourselves, no senses on how to get home, no ability to even be truly aware of danger when it's around. He says, this is what you guys are like. And therefore, sheep need a shepherd. That's the whole purpose of the shepherd. The shepherd, if the sheep didn't have shepherd, there wouldn't be sheep. They would be destroyed. They would be demolished. But sheep need a shepherd. And when I look at the history of God's people, I see it over and over and over again. I saw it even come up in the theme of our songs today. The fact that God's people would have been destroyed if it wasn't for the shepherd. You part the sea so I can walk right through it. There they were, absolutely helpless and hopeless, no ability to defend themselves, no ability to get home wherever home might be, no sense whatsoever what to do, and in comes the great shepherd, tells Moses, put your staff out, and God opens the waters for these sheep and leads them through. I think about the conquest of the, uh, of, of the uh, promised land. I think about Gideon with 22 thousand soldiers and God says nope we're going to bring this down to 300 and you're going to go to war and we see a scenario where literally 300 people no chance that they could physically overpower their enemy and yet we see the great shepherd is there protecting them and guiding them and leading them it wasn't that they had to fight it wasn't that they had to overpower their enemy it was that their shepherd their God was so powerful so incredible that nobody could overcome these sheep now it's awesome I don't know how to I pray God helps me to get everything out that's in me this morning. Because one thing I've said over and over and over again in the last seven weeks, right, is Isaiah 26 and verse 3. 
right? That perfect peace comes to those whose minds are stayed upon the Lord. I don't think there's a better picture that shows how much the Lord's the only reason we have peace. It has nothing to do with our smarts, nothing to do with our ability to fight our, fight, fight our enemies back, nothing to do with our ability to be aware of all the danger that's around us. We are hopeless and helpless sheep, but there is one reason that we should have great confidence, as we're going to see even in the presence of our enemies, and that is because our God is the almighty shepherd, and because of that, we as his sheep should have complete and total rest in knowing that our God is our shepherd. I want to preach today on five blessed truths about the Almighty Shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That word want in biblical terms, it, it means to, um, to lack. To say I shall not want, when we use the word want, we're like I want a Nintendo, I want this, I want a new car. That's not what the word want means biblically. I think it's real important you know that or you'll misinterpret the scriptures. To want biblically means to lack. If you don't have food and you are about to die of starvation, you are in want. You want or need is another word for it. You lack the resources. Here's the promise. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. I'm not going to want. I'm not going to need. Because the Lord is my shepherd. I'm pumped up this morning about the shepherd. Man, he's awesome and he's my shepherd. Let's preach a little bit about the shepherd this morning. I want to I show you five things this morning. Really, four of them are going to be in the text itself the first one I'm going to take from New Testament. The first thing I want you to see this morning, the blessed truth about the Almighty Shepherd is this simple fact that He loves us. The Shepherd loves us. He's not just assigned to us. He's not just some hireling that's getting paid to take care of us. His care for us is out of His love for us. Look what John 15 and 13 says. So Jesus says this in John chapter 15, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And then in John chapter 10 and verse 11, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You need to know this morning that he is the good shepherd who laid down his life for you and greater love has no one than this than he laid down his life for his friends. You can trust this morning that God loves you. The almighty shepherd loves his sheep. Now I'm going to tie every point this morning to Isaiah 26 and verse 3. God's love for you should bring you peace. You learn to stay your mind on God's love. Trust with all your heart, and you'll find that there's not a situation on this earth. There's not a circumstance you can come up against. There is no earthly trial that will have the power to steal away your peace when you truly grab your mind or, and wrap your mind around the fact that the good shepherd, the almighty shepherd, the all-powerful shepherd, he loves you this morning. Number two, notice that he leads us. He makes me to lie down in green pastures and leads me beside still waters. He leads us. Green pastures and still waters are a reference to food and drink. 
There's a double reference to the, to the still waters, and we'll talk about that when I get to it. But the first one, the green pastures, is a reference to food. Our shepherd feeds us. He provides for us. And you know what the good shepherd feeds his sheep with? Remember, this is the spiritual analogy. analogy. The Word of God. You will find that your soul becomes full, that you become strong, that you become healthy when you are willing to receive the Word of God, believe the Word of God, obey the Word of God, take in the Word of God. He feeds His sheep. We become weak, we become anemic, we become disoriented when we're not feasting on the Word of God. When we are not taking in the Word of God. It's amazing the things I've heard said this morning that reiterate, it's like my points are here. We don't share each other's messages. There's not anybody, none of our music. Tony had no clue what I was going to preach this morning. And it was said earlier that uh, if you're only, you know, getting this service as your weekly service, it's not enough. It's just not enough. If you're only getting five minutes a day of, you know, your study and prayer, it's not enough. We become weak. We become anemic. And I pray that the Holy Ghost starts helping some of you people begin to tie these truths together because we make excuses for our fear and our worry and our doubt. And we think if everything else around us would change, then I could be happy. Then I wouldn't be so anxious. Then I wouldn't be so fearful. No, what you really need to do is get your mind stayed on God. Get in the word of God. Be feasting on the green pastures that God leads you to. But all too often, we're not willing We're just, no, we're not willing. We don't want what God says. We don't want the Word of God. We don't have a hunger for the Word of God. I'm going to tell you something about being strong. You want to be a strong Christian, you need to understand something. There's a certain discipline it's going to take learning to feed yourself. You can't spend your whole life being spoon-fed once a week by old Pastor Joplin. That's a good place to start. But if you've been saved more than six months and you're still doing nothing but being spoon-fed once a week by, you know, the forefathers of the faith, you need to grow up and start getting into the Word of God yourself and start feeding yourself. And I'm going to tell you something. It's not, there's a discipline that it takes. Christianity is not all about entertainment. I would argue it's not about entertainment at all, but we're in this entertainment culture where we have been trained and, and everything is... is uh, packaged for the consumer. In other words, we want to consume the product. And so it's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be exciting. I'm supposed to have an experience. And then once I'm done with my experience, whether it's a movie that I go to, whether it's a sporting event that I go to, whether it's a church service I go to, whatever it be, we're conditioned to think, what can I get out of this? And we don't want to put in the hard work and the time to just sit down and read the Word of God. Get into it. I'm going to tell you something about the Word of God. It's a lot like prayer. Sometimes it's really hot, and sometimes it's like, man, this is awesome. I don't want to put this thing down. And sometimes it's like, mm, is this what's going on here? This is boring. That's what it's like. 
Do you want to be healthy? you want to be strong spiritually? you want to be a man or woman of God that lives under the peace and the anointing of God and ultimately uses your life to, to further God's kingdom? You're going to have to get in the discipline of getting into it whether you think it's fun and exciting or not. You've got to see the balance and the need for simply being committed to the Word of God, learning the Word of God, and trusting God didn't write it for, for some just to make you do something boring. There's a reason for it. And if God cared enough to put it down on paper so that you and I can read it, we need to be reading it regardless of how it makes us feel each time that we read it. God leads us into green pastures. He leads us beside still waters. This is a reference to the drink. God gives us a sense of restoration. See this, he restores my soul, leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. There's a sense of refreshment that comes, especially to the New Testament believer, through the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. You will find that when you're discouraged, you will find that when you are weary, when you are dry and thirsty, there is nothing that will charge your soul like being with God. If you were here at the 9 o'clock, it was mentioned in prayer that there's this place in prayer that often comes. Sometimes you got to break through. you got to go a little bit more than two minutes. you got to go a little bit more than ten minutes. You've got to be committed to prayer and seeking the face of God. And at times, it's like we cross over from one place to the next, and all of a sudden, we are in communion with God. And we know that we're with God, and God's hearing us, and God's speaking back. And there's something restoring and refreshing about that moment that you will never find anywhere else on this planet. This phrase, besides still waters, can also literally be translated waters of rest. Waters of rest. It reminds me of uh, when you sit beside um, a beautiful stream. It's, it's, It's peaceful. That sound of running clear and crisp water. That picture is here. We see this concept of God leading these sheep to this place of just comfort, right? There's food there. There's water. There's perfect rest. You need to hear something this morning. If you are God's son or daughter, God leads us there. And we're going to find that it's even in the presence of our enemies. We'll get there in a minute. But I want to say it again, God leads us to a place of rest. Here's what that means this morning, and I pray that you'll be cautious and open to hearing what I'm about to tell you. Here's what that means. If your life is not ruled by peace and spiritual rest, you're not following God. Because the Word of God tells us unmistakably that is where God leads us. That's where God leads us. And when you're not following God and you're one of those sheep that get off over here on your own and now all of a sudden you're just focused on all the negativity in the world, you need to get back into the fold. You need to get back close to God. You need to get back close to the shepherd. But you need to trust something this morning. This is where the shepherd leads us. He leads his sheep to still waters. He leads us beside waters of rest. 
He leads us into green pastures. So if your faith is dry and barren, if your spiritual walk is all dried up and there's no peace and everything in your life is pretty much consumed with anxiety and worries and fears, I tell you this morning on the authority of the word of God, you're not following God like you think you are. Because he leads us to still waters. He loves us. He leads us. God's leading of your life. It should bring you peace. You need to stay your mind on the fact that God leads you. You need to trust with all of your heart that no situation you face, no circumstance that you're in, you need to trust with all of your heart that regardless of the battle, God is able to lead you to still waters and green pastures. Number three, notice that the almighty shepherd, he protects us. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. The valley of the shadow of death is a reference to a real valley. It's an actual valley that shepherds had to lead the sheep through. It's a very narrow valley. There's a chance during the, uh, because it's so narrow, the sheep kind of have to get stretched apart. And uh, it takes a lot of wisdom for a shepherd to guide his sheep through the valley of death. They're exposed, they're on the low ground, and they need to come out on the other side before they can really enter pastures of safety. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I told you that God leads us. Never should a sheep have ever gone through the valley unless the shepherd was leading him there. Shepherd needed to get the sheep to the other side. Sometimes the good shepherd has to lead us through some really difficult valleys to get us to where he wants us to go. But here's the promise. Even in the valley of the shadow of death, you know, it's a, it's a picture of evil as much as evil can be, danger as much as danger can be, literally life-threatening. I want to repeat something that I've stated over and over and over again in this sermon series about peace. The promise to peace has nothing to do with God removing bad circumstances from our life. It's nothing to do with that. If you think that that's what it's about, you're going to be utterly dis discouraged and you're, and you're going to doubt everything in your life because, as I said last week, God's people perish for lack of knowledge. Sometimes we go through the valley of the shadow of death. And the fact that I will fear no evil doesn't mean evil won't be there trying to destroy me. In fact, this is an acknowledgement that evil is there trying to destroy, trying to kill, trying to ruin. And David said, as a sheep in the fold of the Almighty God, I don't even have to fear evil. I can walk through the valley of the shadow of death because my shepherd, the Almighty Shepherd, he fights my battles for me. He is all-powerful. There's not an enemy that he cannot defeat. All that I've got to do is stay close to the shepherd and he will protect me. Man, I wish that uh, God's people would get a hold of this truth that God protects us. 
My wife and I do some pretty dangerous missions. We're not the only ones here that do, but we have a history of it, 13 years of, of doing some dangerous missions. I have literally been caught in a riot. I have literally been in vehicles. Me and Larry Brooke were in a vehicle where a native Haitian just had an absolute breakdown and started screaming, we're all going to die. I'm talking Maltov, what a cocktails thrown at the car, people coming to bash out our windows, and it looked like this is the end of it. My wife has been held up, um, locked up in a bathroom as gunfire is going on outside of their, their house at midnight at our mission in, in Haiti. We've been in dangerous situations. And I don't say that to, to uh, I'm not bragging about that. We sit around, we talk about it. We discuss it. At the end of the day, here's the conclusion. The Lord is our shepherd. Now, we're not talking about jumping off of a roof and, and asking the angels to lift us up. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about intentionally doing something where we knew ahead of time, yep, we're going to die if we do this. But here's the reality. I believe with all of my heart, as long as I stay close to the shepherd and I'm living to be obediently for him, I cannot die until he says so. And I am ready to go if it's my time. Trust me, heaven's way better than here. I don't want to be silly about it but, and, and put myself intentionally in a place I know I'm going to die, but look, heaven's better than this place. And I would much rather at the end of my life stand in front of God and give an account for my life having died serving Him than having lived a long life hiding in some cave. And at the end of it all, I can say truly, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. I know that evil's there. It's always there. It's here. But the Lord is our shepherd. He protects us. And I've watched it happen, brothers and sisters. He protects us. I got lots of time this morning. I'm moving good. I'm gonna, I, I want to share with you how he protected Larry and I. It's an awesome story. Larry's right here to verify it. So we get caught in this riot. I'm talking, it's like, it's like the riots like we're watching right here in America. That's what it's like. And we're in Haiti, and the short story is that um, American gas prices went from $4 down to $2, and Haiti's still holding them up at 4 bucks. And all of their people know that their government is absolutely doing them wrong, and, and they're, they're the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, and all the people gather together, and they just actually, they, they say, we're going we're gonna to shut down traffic to what we're going to do. We're going to shut down all traffic through Port-au-Prince, the largest city in Haiti. And it was, a, um, it was an organization very similar. I want, I want to say that cautiously. I, I was going to say it was similar to Black Lives Matters, but I want to say that cautiously. It was organized by a group of people who were gang members that were well-known sort of gang members slash mafia in, in that area that had influence and power to uh, get all the people together. And they were like, you know what? Our government's not taking care of us. We're going to teach them a lesson. Larry and I get word that this is going to happen and that they're supposed to do this entire shutdown the day that we're leaving 
we've got a flight to leave at like, I don't know, 1230 or something. So we decide that this thing is supposed to start at 10 a.m. in the morning. We decide we're going to leave at like 6. I wouldn't get way out ahead of it. Man, we get out. We get about an hour down the road, and we come into the busiest part of Port-au-Prince, and it was like a ghost town. I'm talking it's a two-lane road, and normally there's 10, 10 lanes. It's crazy there. You've got five lanes going this way and people in and out and everybody honking and people all over, and it's like it's actually terrifying the first time you go as an American that people drive like that. It's insane. Well, we come up on it. We're the only vehicle on the road, and there's this eerie feeling like, this is bad. We come up to the major bridge that you must cross to get over the major river in order to get on the other side where we could eventually make it to the airport, and the whole bridge is shut down. There's about 300 people on it. They've already started, and as we are going that direction, they're shutting down the roads behind us, and we are stuck, and like it or not, we are the epitome of the problem. In their minds, rich, white Americans in collaboration with their corrupt government. It's wrong, but that is the way they saw it. It's sort of like being a police officer right now in the middle of these stupid riots. You are a picture of what they are against, whether or not it makes any sense at all. And Larry and I are stuck in a situation like that. The pastor that's with us gets out. He goes up to the um, and he's a native pastor there in Port-au-Prince. He goes up and he actually approaches, because this is the hub of the entire um, demonstration, resistance is what they called it. He goes up and he talks to those guys and basically tells them this, what you guys are doing here is legitimate, but if these guys end up dead, it's going to ruin it all. I know these people, they are solid missionaries, they are here to help us, they are not part of the problem, and we need to get these guys to the airport, and you're the only ones that can do it. And these gang leaders literally come to our vehicle and hop on the outside so they're visible and start moving us through the crowds. And we would come up to crowds of hundreds of people, they'd start storming our vehicle like they were going to kill us, and they're screaming, and it's, it's just totally enraged. These guys would jump off and everybody would recognize their faces. And you would watch the screaming match every time, basically, what's going on? Why are you guys, what's happening? And these guys are saying, and about every five miles, they had tires, I'm talking stacked this high off the ground, flames this high off the ground, burning all the way across the road so there was no way to get through. We would come to a fire blockade. These guys would jump off of our vehicles. People would storm us like they're getting ready to kill us, recognize who these guys were. They'd all fight, and our guys that were with us, they'd point. And men would run into these fires, pull apart these tires, throwing them this way. They'd get a, just barely big enough for us to get our vehicle through. We'd fly through there. The gang leaders would run back through, jump on our vehicles again, and then they would take the, the other guys would take the tires and put them back over, and they would continue their demonstration. It was terrifying. I remember thinking, our tires are going to blow up, so what's going to happen? We made it to the airport. I, if I would have even known I was going to share that this morning, I would have had the picture up. Those gang leaders wanted a picture with us. You ought to see it. I mean, they're all... <laughs> I 
I want you to think about something. Every word of what I just told you is true. The only humans on the planet that had the authority to take us safely through that riot were hanging on our vehicle. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you, Lord, are with me. I'm telling you, when God is with us, who can be against us? The Bible says he has the power to turn the hearts of kings like water. We have nothing to fear. We have no reason to worry. Our God protects us. You stay your mind on the fact that God protects you. You trust in it with all your heart. And you'll find that peace that surpasses understanding will rule your heart. Number four, not only does God protect us, does He love us, does He lead us, He comforts us. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That's a um, really beautiful analogy of how we should truly see correction. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You know, the shepherd, to my knowledge, didn't typically use his staff to, you know, pet the back of the sheep. It was used for correction. It was used to to steer them this direction. It was used to steer them that direction. David said, sometimes I need to be steered. Sometimes I need to be disciplined. Sometimes I need the rod. I need the staff. And here's what he says, it comforts me. Why does it comfort him? I think the answer is in Hebrews 12, I believe, where we learn that the Father chastises the Son whom He loves. The fact that God cares enough to convict my heart, to show me my wrongs, to lead me this direction or lead me that direction, the fact that He cares enough, it tells me He loves me. He's involved in my life. I mean this sincerely. It has baffled me over the years the way different Christians deal with correction. It's like some of us get mad and act like little children and just want to run anytime we get corrected. Anytime we're convicted, preach against the sin that you're living in and you're going to get up and walk out or find yourself another church. And that baffles me because I'm telling you, in 20 years, I've just never had that attitude. I really feel like when I'm being convicted and I'm being dealt with. It's overwhelming to me that God loves me enough to talk to me about it. It's awesome. It does give me a sense of comfort. Like God loves me. He has not abandoned me. He's working on me. He cares enough to speak to me and try to get me to get back on course. And that's overwhelming to me. It's actually comforting to me when I don't like it that I have to get disciplined by the Lord. I don't like it that I'm a sinner that needs direction most of my life. But I do love the fact that God's willing to give it to me. His rod and his staff, it provides comfort because it reminds me that I am his and that he loves me. God comforts us. 
We must learn to love the correction of the shepherd's staff. You know, it's the responsibility to protect the sheep, right? You can trust that whatever God's trying to correct you of, he's just trying to protect you. He really is. He knows better than you do. We're dumb sheep. We can't see a whole lot further than 15 yards down the road. But our heavenly shepherd sees it all. He knows where we're headed. He knows what's going to happen if we don't get corrected. He knows the, 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 the pain that's ahead if we don't turn back on the course. And he loves us enough to correct us. We've got to learn to love the correction of God again. And understand God is leading us to better pastures. God is leading us to a place of comfort. And finally this morning, notice he provides for us. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. He provides for us. You prepare a table for me. That's like a full course meal. That's the analogy that's given here. It's not like sneaking some snacks in until this thing's over. He says, no, you prepare a table before me. The whole thing, a full course meal. You got the appetizer, you got the drinks, you got the main course, you got the dessert. It's a picture of rest again. It's a picture of a, a, of a peaceful banquet. He says, you prepare a table before me. God provides for us. And there is joy at the table of God. There is peace at the table of God. Notice it's in the presence of our enemies. You know, some of the most joyous, fulfilling times that I've ever had in my life have been in the presence of enemies, in the presence of turmoil, in the presence of hardship, in the presence of you know, just things are not going like I want them to go. But somehow it's in those moments God shows us like no time other that he has the ability to prepare the table no matter where we're at. It's incredible. It's beautiful. And I promise you this, when you start to see that, it'll change the way you see hardships. You won't resist them so much. You won't dread them when they come. Instead, you'll see them as opportunities for God to set the table in a setting that only God can do. It's exciting. It's like, God, how are you going to bring peace out of this thing? God, how are you going to bless us in the middle of this trial? God, what table are you going to set before us amongst these enemies? And there's a sense of excitement about it that my God is in sole control that all the enemies of the world can't do a thing about it but sit there and watch me eat. It's a beautiful picture. There's joy at the table of God. In the presence of our enemies. In the presence of conflict. I wouldn't repeat it so often if I didn't think it was necessary. God's promise to peace is not a promise to remove all the conflict from your life. You got to get your American mindset and chuck it in the garbage where it belongs when it comes to heavenly peace. God's way of peace isn't giving us more wealth, more things, removing all of our enemies and making life good and making life easy so that we can just sit around and have no worries, no earthly worries. 
God's way is providing peace in the midst of it, in the midst of conflict, in the middle of the enemies. This is such a picture of how powerful our shepherd is. Sheep could never reasonably eat surrounded by wolves. Never. Unless their shepherd was so powerful that he just knew how to hold back the wolves. He just decides, whoop, we're going to stop right here. This looks like a good place to eat. And you just sit down and rest, sheep. I will hold back the enemies. Such an incredibly powerful picture. You know, it's a picture that David learned in his life. I believe that God taught David this picture before allowing him to really reign and rule as king so that David would learn complete dependence upon God. The next statement that comes up, he anoints my head with oil. It's a beautiful statement. And and I personally think it has a twofold application. I'm going to tell you the first. He anoints my head with oil, my cup overflows. So... History tells us that this was a pretty traditional thing when you would have a guest come over, that um, it's similar to um, Jesus' era of time where they would wash somebody's feet after a long journey. History tells us that during this era of time, one of the things that was very common when you have a guest come over is that you would actually anoint their head with some type of uh, fragrant oil and that you would get them a cup to drink. And so this, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head, my cup overflows, is probably one constant thought that's um, just expressing that picture of a guest being blessed by the host. But I also believe the anointing of the head with oil is a reference to when Samuel came to David. Actually, he came to David's daddy. And said, God sent me here because one of your boys is the king. And David's dad, he brings in all the other brothers. Samuel's like, nope, nope, nope. Is this all your sons? He says, no, like the, the youngest one is out taking care of the sheep. Isn't that our, our, our ironic? And Samuel said, well, call him, bring him in here. David comes in and the Spirit of God shows Samuel he's the one. And Samuel takes and he anoints David as king of Israel. But David is not put on the throne right away. You know the story. David ends up having enough bravery to fight Goliath when all the other men were cowards and afraid to do so. He brings down the giant and all of a sudden everybody loves David. And then Saul starts to get a little crazy and jealous. As everybody loves David, they're going to want him to be king instead of me. Saul says, we need to kill David. David ends up running literally like a dog for a long section of his life, several years, while Saul is out trying to hunt him down and kill him. When you understand that, it also adds such a beautiful understanding of this exact passage. Like David literally had to sleep out in the fields. He couldn't stay in homes. He he, he had to be in this field today and in that field tomorrow. The Lord was going to lead him by this stream today, and then you're going to have to get moved to this stream tomorrow because Saul's on his way. David knew what it was like to literally have to trust God. You're going to have to feed us somehow. Some way, somehow, you're going to have to take care of us. Even in the presence of my enemies, there's some, while this is highly symbolic, there's some literal stuff David's talking about here during those years of his life. 
And in the midst of it all, David said, you anoint my head with oil. God, you're the one that chooses me. And there ain't anything that this world can do about it. There's not an enemy in the world that can stop what you're doing in my life. A New Testament parallel we find in Romans chapter 8 when it says, if God's for us, who can be against us? The point is, He's the judge. He is the judge. What are you going to do? Go plead your case to the judge on why He shouldn't love me? Uh, He's the one that actually chose me. He's the one who sent His Son to die for me. He's the one who leads me. You can go talk to Him about it all day long. Because He's for me. And so nobody can be against me. He provides for us. God's provision should bring you peace. Whatever the need is that you have this morning, God's able to meet it. Whatever the circumstance is that you're facing, it's not too big for God. And I've already told you, God might not remove it, but He will give you the strength through it. What's the conclusion on the matter? I want to close with this simple thought. I'll go ahead and ask our worship team. You guys can get in place. I want to close with this simple thought. I started out by telling you that sheep can only see 40, 60 feet. It's not very long. All of these promises... The comfort of the shepherd, the provision of the shepherd, the leading of the shepherd. Now, his love's always there. That's why he leaves the fold and comes to the 99, or leaves the 99 and comes to the one. But God's leading in your life, his comfort, his provision, all of it. If you're way away from where the shepherd is, you're not going to be able to experience it. The only way for the sheep to have that sense of peace and safety was to literally be with the shepherd. Man, we're living in an era of time where so many of God's sheep, it's like everyone wants to live on their own secret mission. They want to be distant. They want to be away. They want to do their own thing. They just want enough little Christianity, a little slice in their life that somehow they can appease their conscience and feel like they're close to God. And then they wonder, why all these promises don't seem like mine? Why do I have no peace? Why do I live with anxiety? Why is my life unsatisfied? Why am I spiritually dry? And then they come up with the absolute wrong conclusion, which is what happens when you're disoriented and a long ways from the shepherd. Well, this must not work. Well, to be clear, what you're doing doesn't work. But that ain't Christianity. That's your own version of what you want it to be. I'm here to tell you this morning, the promises of God are true. And I'm here to tell you that the only way to really, truly experience the peace that surpasses understanding is to be one of the sheep that are as close to the shepherd as you can possibly get. It's amazing to me. I know that God loves everybody the same. And I know that there are multitudes of you out there that feel a lot like me, that sometimes it feels like you're God's favorite. selfish as this sounds though there's a part of me at times that I want to get closer to God than you 
And that's silly. Like I know that God wants all of us the same, but if we're all together and we're all sheep of the same herd, if you were able to look down at old Joplin as a sheep, you're gonna find that he's trying to nudge you out of the way. I wanna get a little closer to the shepherd. I wanna be, if the shepherd's right here, I wanna be one of the ones that are around him. That's just the way I am. I wanna be as close to him as I can get. I feel safer when I'm there. I feel safer when I'm real close to him than if I'm all the way out here on the outside of the rest of the sheep. I just wanna get as close as I can. And I'm telling you, the closer you are, the more you'll find that these truths begin to rule your heart. That the peace of Christ rules your heart. But there is no worry, there's no fear. Because you are near to the Almighty Shepherd who has all power. 